Welcome to Blaze and Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. I am Blaze Bryant. Facebook.com slash Blaze and Shows. It's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows. On Twitter at Blaze and Shows. And my brand new website. Go check it out. BlazeandShows.com. Hope you are doing well and that you've had a great week. As we're going to talk all about the very real issue of service animals and airplanes. The fine folks over at Disability Rights New York, they are a New York statewide firm that deals with advocacy and legal issues for people with disabilities. They did a webinar a couple of weeks ago on their Facebook page, which is where I grabbed this from. Brandy Tomlinson and Christy Aspey from their Protection and Advocacy Program Review some of the legal implications. Okay, so starting next week, um, the airlines are now going to be required to follow new rules regarding assistance animals. Um, so there's two big things that are really key here that we want to make sure um, our audience know about. And the first thing is, is that emotional support animals are no longer going to be um, recognized as assistance animals. So what that means is that um, only service animals can travel on airplane. Um, that being said, however, you may be able to travel with an emotional support animal as a pet, but you no longer are allowed to, they no longer get the recognition of being an assistance animal. Additionally, the airlines have also clarified that a service animal is only a dog. So pigs, peacocks, Miniature horses, they're no longer going to be recognized as an assistance animal. So another thing, or the second thing we want to make sure the audience know about flying with service dogs is that you are going to be required to fill out, or the, well, the airlines may require, they're not, um, they do not have to, but most likely they will. They will require individuals traveling with service dogs to complete two forms. One form is going to be regarding the behavior and on the health of your service dog. You may need your vet to complete that form, so you will want to check the form to make sure. And then the second form is going to be regarding the um, whether your animal can um, hold their bowel movement and not um, be able, not have to relieve themselves on an airplane um, for a long period of time. So those are the two big changes that we have happening with the airlines. Okay, and Christy, let's talk about what prompted this. Uh, let's talk about the history of service animals on airplanes and and how we got to this point. Right, so the, the FAA, the Federal Aviation, um, the, the, the uh, agency within the larger agency of the Department of Transportation, that's a, that's a US, uh, US government agency, so it's federal, it oversees all uh, airlines um, and airplane travel. Um, they have, for for a long period of time, they have been quite flexible with the type of assistance animals that they had allowed on airplanes. Um, when they first came out with the the rule that was quite flexible with with the different types of assistance animals, the assistance animal. 
um, the, the use of assistance animals was not as popular as it is today. Today, a lot of people rely on assistance animals. Um, and that rule did not look the same as it, as it does uh, in other parts of, of the law, and namely the, uh, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So in the, it, the, the DOT operates under a different part of the ADA than, uh, for example, public uh, spaces, public businesses, um, even government buildings. Um, so, so in the, in, in the public spaces that you would think of when you think of, you know, uh, welcoming assistance animals, they only allow dogs and in some cases miniature horses. Um, so the F, the FAA regulation was quite different. It was quite, um, more expansive in the types of animals that would, it would allow. So, um, so there was this, uh, this tension because uh, when you go into an airport, that is generally um, regulated by the, the sort of the commonly recognized uh, or thought of ADA acts or uh, titles, which is titles one, two, and three. And so um, if you brought an, an, an assistance animal into the airport, the airport space itself, you could only have service animals that um, meet the definition that is provided under the Department of Justice. And so that is a dog or miniature horse. Whereas once you got onto the airplane, you could, then they were, the assistance animal list was quite long, much more expansive. So that was part of the push. Uh, another part of the push to change these regulations was um, the liability that airlines had faced and the injuries that these some assistance animals uh, caused to both passengers and 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 employ and in this the employees the the flight attendants and whatnot. And Christy, if I could interrupt you here, I, I think it's important for our audience to know specifically the difference between a service animal and an emotional support animal, and that there is a distinction as we've seen some of the articles that have come out recently in anticipation of these changes, we're seeing this language. <clears throat> so if you could please uh, give us the differences between these two. Yes, so a service animal has a specific definition um, in the in what we usually go to for the definition is, is, is a definition by the Department of Justice. Um, and that is a, uh, a dog or miniature horse that is trained to perform a specific task or service for a person with disability, with a disability, and that it's under the handler's control. Generally, the handler means the person who has the disability or the aide um, who is who is uh, assisting the person with a disability. An emotional support animal is some is a is a, an animal. It can be any type of animal, and it doesn't have to have individualized training. It provides um, emotion. It, it provides comfort and support to the person who, who needs it. Generally, it's per, uh, somebody, for somebody who has, um, who has a disability that is, uh, that is, we typically recognize it as a mental illness um, or an, an anxiety. Anxiety is another common disability where somebody would, would see great value from having an emotional support animal. There is, uh, you know, we, we, 
recognize value in, in these assistance animals. We, we advocate for, for people to have access to them. Um, and that's why we're here today doing this training so people can understand the, 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 the very stark difference in the way the regulation uh, will change on um, January 11th. Thanks, Christy. And Brandy, let's talk about moving forward. So January 11th, these changes take place. Uh, what should people anticipate uh, when they're going to get on an, air- an airplane? And do these changes affect any other type of transportation? Yes, so moving forward, um, what our audience and anybody else who is flying with an assistant animal, and just a reminder, we're talking about service dogs now. Uh, so if you are, if you have already made your, your flight, for example, I would call the airline. You may already be okay because the rule doesn't take effect until next week. But I recommend everybody call the airline today. Say, hey, this new rule coming into effect next week. Do you need me to fill out these forms? Um, additionally, uh, if you also, we also want to make sure that our audience know that these forms do need to be completed within 48 hours of your flight. So now that probably leads to the question of what if I made my flight the last minute, 24, 48 hours. Um, the airline will be required to accept these forms either at the gate or the check-in. Um, but what I would recommend is, is, you know, if you do contact the airline, you know, if it's 24, 48 hours and say, hey, I know it's within 24, 48 hours, what's your procedure? What would you like me to do? And Brandy, um. You made a great point about people who have maybe already made their travel plans. And as we're seeing with some of these articles that are coming out, there are differences um, with some of the airlines around the policies that are that they're going to um, be okay with within the next month. It looks like there's um, there's an airline that's saying in the next month we'll honor previous requests. Um, so your advice to, to check in with the different airlines is a very good one. Um, any other advice that you have for people who are uh, getting ready to travel or who have already had their travel planned? Um, so if you already have travel plans, you know, do not worry. Just call the airline, let them know, hey, I know about these new rules. What do you need from me? You know, we don't, since this is so new, we don't know how are the airlines proceeding regarding people who already have travel plans. You know, for some, some airlines may say, you know what, you made your ticket in advance, you know, we're not going to apply it to you. For other people, let's say they're making their plans today or tomorrow, this weekend, the airlines may say, yes, you need to get ourselves formed. So I strongly recommend call the airlines, they're the best ones. Um, I also do not recommend checking the websites just yet for the airlines because not all the airlines have updated their websites. For example, Southwest still has emotional support animals on their website. So I recommend call the airline before you travel and just see what are they gonna require of their passengers. Thanks, Brandy. And Christy, um, let's talk about if anyone has any difficulties or if they're in the process of making you know, plans and they're getting conflicting reports from whether it's a ticket agent or someone else, what can they do? Right. Well, as Brandy said, the airlines are in the best position to know what their policies are. Um, they 
you know, the bottom line is that the airlines have to allow service dogs that, um, that meet the definition uh, in the regulations, okay? It looks different than what they were previously identified as, um, as in terms of the general uh, animal, or the assistance animal category. Um, it looks different than even what the DOJ identifies as a service animal. So being familiar you know, with what is allowed, uh, and we will put our fact sheet in uh, as a resource, that is crucial because airlines just have to do the, the bare minimum here. That's what we're talking about. Airline, certain airlines may decide that they want their assistance animal program to be more expansive, more inclusive, that is up to the airline themselves. So as Brandy stressed, you know, getting to know that, you know, the particulars of the airline, that's key. If you are faced with a barrier, either before you get to the airport, um, or if when you're at the airport, you're faced with a barrier, certainly you can contact Disability Rights New York and we can help you as quickly as possible. We are not an emergency response organization but we can do what we can. Um, and also if you wanna make a complaint, making a complaint to, um, to the FAA, they, will ha they have a complaint process when you experience discrimination on flights. That process will be available uh, if you face um, barriers to getting on an airplane with your service dog. Uh, but again, your service dog must meet the, the pretty strict definition that is uh, in, the, in the, these new regulations. Let's find out the human impact of these changes to the service animal rules on airplanes. Joining me is a very good friend of mine. His name is John Farina. He has been using guide dogs for well over 40 years, as well as he's a member of the Cattle District Chapter of the American Council of the Blind. John, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Blaze and Access show. Morning, Blaze. Thanks for having me. And uh, good good Monday morning to you. I guess maybe it's significant we do this on uh, the uh, anniversary of Martin Luther King uh, holiday here. But uh, you're right. I've been using guide dogs, seeing eye dogs since 1974, which in some sense makes me an old guy, but uh, <laughs> I don't feel intent. it. So Just to be okay. clear. Right. <laughs> and how interesting is, we normally don't really talk about when these conversations are being taped, but it is interesting, as you said, that we're taping this here on Martin Luther King Day and the kind of ironies of that as we're talking about regulations and equal rights and everything. John, when this first became an issue, when you started seeing on the news that people were trying to bring peacocks and other sorts of birds and claim them as emotional support animals, what was your first reaction? I, I can't remember my first reaction, but I may have laughed because um, at that time it seemed it seemed pretty abs absurd. The whole um, uh, right guide dog access movement, if you will, um, started in you know 1929 or thereabouts with Morris Frank, uh, who was the first person to use a uh, a 
guide dog. At that time, there was no such thing as a seeing eye dog, unquote, which is a trademark now. Um, so right. he was the first person to come to the to use a guide dog in this country. And he trained his he was trained with his dog in in uh, Switzerland, he came to this country and basically started uh, a movement because there were no laws to guarantee access. So uh, this, you know, this whole this whole uh, thing of regulations and all of that is, um, you know, there were there were regulations forbidding dogs way back, you know, way back when. And nobody understood what that was about. And he um, he pioneered uh, the the idea that a well-trained and and well-handled dog could make visually impaired people uh, help make them more much more mobile than they had ever been. Because, uh, right. of course, even at that time, there was no cane technique. Uh, the what we call Hoover cane technique came as a result of World War II and the VA, uh, I believe it was the Heinz Center in Chicago, um, pioneered that. So for people who are visually impaired, I know we're taking a trip down memory lane here, but um, th this, this whole idea has been a long, you know, a long, um, a long history and the seeing eye as well as um, other guide dog schools that have started over the years have been in the forefront of trying to maintain access for, you know, for people with well-trained um, and well-handled um, service, service animals, guide dogs. Um, and they have been mostly guide dogs. Right. So that's, you know, that's sort of the history and it's distressing to think that, you know, people feel um, that they can simply flaunt the regulations and uh, bring whatever they feel is, you know, they want to bring on, you know, on an airplane uh, and, and therefore potentially interfere with our animals working because the animals are, could be distracted. How much of this do you think has to do with the credentialing or lack thereof in terms of the credentialing? Well, um, just about everyone I know who gets a dog from one of the several guide dog schools across the country, and I've lost track of how many there are now, we generally get um, some form of identification. Usually, in the case of the seeing eye, as you know, it is a photo ID card that contains uh, your upper half um, face and, and shoulders and uh, your dogs, um, up basically whatever they can get, upper half. Um, so, and all of the requisite information about your name, the dog's name and, and uh, seeing eye. Um, and for, if there is an issue, people, um, asking questions can call the seeing eye and get confirmed uh, that yes, John Farina or you know Blaze is or whoever is a graduate of the seeing eye. So it's an official looking 
um, ID. Most of us carry it in our wallet. Right. Um, I mean, I'm talking in terms of with the emotional support animals. In the, and in I the think time. that's the that's the big issue. The fact that um, the training for these animals is I don't know much about the training, but I would guess that it is far less in length um, than a guide dog um, where the training is roughly four months following roughly a year of socialization with a, um, with a puppy raising family, a foster family, if you will. So they get far less training. Um, follow up when you have an issue is, you know, is very, it's very important in our world with, you know, with guide dogs. Um, if we have an issue, we can turn to the school. Um, and then we can continue to the, uh, get your own, uh, uh, thing on the web. You know, you pay us 50 bucks. We'll give you a, we'll give you a banner that says you have a, you know, a service animal. You even and, get a vest. You can even get vests for 25 bucks on some website. Oh, okay. oh, has it gone down? Okay. I, I thought the going price was 50. Okay. Well, you know, I've uh, even heard 25 in some places. Well, now there you go. And, and I think that is, makes it twice as easier, right? Yeah. Right. That, well, you can get two that way. If you lose one, you, you know, that's you, a good point. Um, it's, I think that's distressing. Um, and it, it, there's a lot of work for the handler that goes into working with a service animal, whether it is for, uh, for guide purposes or um, other services such as um, seizure alerting um, and, and or, you know, balance um, dogs. I know work regarding PTSD. Um, but those dogs usually come from reputable places where people know what they're, you know, people know what they're doing and, um, and can provide follow-up. And I, that's the, you know, that's the concern I have. And obviously the airlines and, um, wherever, but we're hearing it mostly about air travel, they have had concerns because of unruly, animals. I have not been the victim um, of that, um, either being asked about uh, whether or not my dog can behave or being distracted by other um, fake or poorly trained um, service animals. But I, you know, I know that's, I know that's been an issue for, um, for, you know, for some people. Right. And you've done a fair amount of travel. Yeah, in the you know in the years that um, that I've been using dogs, obviously, except for this past year, um, I, we we generally travel at least once a year to um, to national conventions of the American Council of the Blind. Um, we were at the Seeing Eyes 90th reunion uh, a year ago, um, and that that was quite interesting because there were I don't know a hundred people. Um, there with maybe more with uh, with their dogs and uh, uh, it was just it went off you know it went off flawlessly um, absolutely uh, John Farina who is a longtime guide dog user joining me here Blaze Bryant on the uh, Blaze and Access show a few minutes left here John 
let's talk about this final piece here in terms of you were mentioning the airlines. Now, each one of them gets to develop their own specific rules. What do you think about that? Well, I would hope that uh, their um, business association or whatever you whatever you call it um, would have some sort of a committee to make sure that the rules are pretty much um, are pretty much standard. Uh, that you know many that that it's pretty much the same process. Um, and I would also hope I um, I just did a review. Uh, guide dog users and off an affiliate of ACB um, asked its members to review the some of the attestation forms that are being requested to be filled out or will be maybe requested to be filled out. And I re- reviewed them for access um, and sent some comments in. I've not heard back, but I suspect they're flooded with comments. Um, what were some of those users. access issues, if any? Um, I, the, the basic problem is as, you know, as usual, uh, they may need to make sure that things are labeled correctly so that when you fill them out, you know what you're supposed to put in the little box, uh, and the, you know, and things are, things are labeled. Um, and especially that when, if people are filling them out, like, uh, they probably will be on an iPhone or other tablet device like I'm holding in my hand uh, that you can do that easily. And that, you know, that's always a concern. But back to the the airlines, I would hope that they develop some general uh, standards as to, you know, as to what they want. You, you don't want to inconvenience the traveler uh, such that, especially if they're taking uh uh, a trip that comes up very quickly, whether it's a family emergency or a work issue, um, you you want them to be able to complete these these forms and you know get all this squared away with a minimum of disruption. I believe they will also have these forms at the checkout as well. I would can. expect that that they would be for especially for those who may or may not uh, be in a position to fill them out prior to um, on you know online. Um, I would like to see them actually on the website as part of the, the reservation process. I think that would be that would be the best place to have them. Yeah. All right. Ninety seconds left here. Actually, about a minute. How come not? just one standardized form that applies all across the board to each airline. I have no particular answer for that, except that maybe, uh, maybe department of transportation should figure out a standard form and say, this is, this is what you're using. Um, that, that would be, you know, I, I'm not sure why they, um, have left that to the, um, to the airlines exactly, but maybe that was part of the regulation agreement for all I know. Gotcha. Well, John Farina, good friend of mine and longtime guide dog user, member of the Capital District Chapter of the American Council of the Blind, as we're talking about the human impact of revised service animal regulations saying pretty much that only service animals, guide dog users, diabetic alert, seizure alert, pretty much no emotional support animals are allowed on airplanes, at least for the time being and Everything on this seems to be a little bit of a moving target here. But, John, as always, 
Great to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining me for a few minutes here on the Blaze and Access show. You're welcome, Blaze. Have a great day. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Blaze and Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. What do you think? Let me know at facebook.com slash shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows. On Twitter at shows, Or email me at shows at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and at my website, blazinshows.com. To quote the late Christopher Reeve, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Take care of yourself and we'll talk again next week. On Blaze and Access, I'm Blaze Bryant.